Well, good morning. As it has already been said, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. This season of longing and anticipation as we await the arrival of Jesus. Today is also Christmas Eve, right? Merry Christmas Eve, the beginning of the great celebration of Jesus' first arrival at his birth. So that's the plan with our time today. We're going to begin our service uh, as, a, as a sort of Advent fourth Sunday kind of thing. We'll finish our trek through Revelation, and then in the later part of our service, we'll join with the angels and the shepherds in celebrating the arrival of Jesus at his birth. So when you came in, hopefully you saw the very full table of we've got communion supplies and candles today. So hopefully you grabbed all of that because we'll be using that later on in our time. Communion and candles. So here we go. Uh, To begin, open up your Bible to Revelation 21. Revelation 21 is where we're heading as we wrap up our Advent walk through the book of Revelation. If you have been following that reading plan, then today is the day to read the last chapter of Revelation, Christmas Eve, just before we celebrate Christmas. And so 21 is where we'll be reading from in just a moment. As you're turning there, a story. I remember... The very first time I saw snow. I grew up near Houston, Texas, so winter meant grabbing a hoodie because uh, it was going to get down into the 60s. Maybe the 50s, right? I mean, if it was just a really cold winter. Snow, of course, was absolutely out of the question, right? It just did not exist. It was just an idea in my imagination. Uh, winter and snow go together, but, but not really. In fact, uh, I was once in an elementary school choir uh, who had a Christmas concert, and we sang a riff on the song Noel, but it went, no snow, no snow, no snow, right? That very Houston area kind of thing to sing. Uh, that's exactly what it was like. But one year, my family went to visit my cousins for Christmas, and they lived in Michigan, right? Uh, now, when we arrived in late December, it actually had not snowed yet. Um, and so, you know, it was clear and, and everything. So our family slowly gathered together from across the country uh, in, in Michigan. And then we finally came to Christmas Eve. And we joined my aunt and uncle at their church for a Christmas Eve service. It was a Lutheran church, so it was very different than I was used to, a bit more formal and, and so on. Um, To be honest, I don't actually remember that much about the Christmas Eve service. I'm sure it was beautiful. Um, What I do remember is this. When the service was over, we walked out from the church building, and it was snowing. Just big, thick flakes of snow falling from the sky. I had never seen anything like it before. And I mean, right after the Christmas Eve service, it was like scripted in a movie, right? I mean, you, just, you walk out and there it is. And we were, I was amazed. I was in awe of it. 
uh, 11 or 12 years old, never seen snow before. And I was amazed. So we headed back to our hotel and uh, went to bed in anticipation of Christmas morning. And I'll never forget. Woke up the next morning. My dad opened those thick hotel room curtains. And everything was covered in snow. It had snowed all night long. And we woke up on Christmas Day. And it was just this beautiful, bright, white blanket spread out in all directions. As far as you could see, uh, it was all dressed up in that soft white of undisturbed, fresh snow. It was utterly magical. Uh, It was like the whole world had been washed clean. It was so bright, all of creation couldn't help but reflect back the radiance of light that hit it. I was amazed. And the rest of the day, of course, was filled with family time and presents and lots of playing in the snow. But what I saw that day in my first experience of actual snow was not all that different from what John saw in the final chapters of Revelation. Uh, Last week, we got to the beginning of chapter 19, where we heard the words, the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The snow is this picture of the brightness and freshness and cleanness uh, that John sees in the final chapters of Revelation. There's this bright beauty that shines forth. So let's hear some more about the bride and the lamb in a few excerpts from Revelation's final chapters, beginning with 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Jumping down to verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its radiance, brilliance, was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. 
Jump down to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp is, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word and for this day of celebration. Thank you for the beauty of these pictures and the good news that you are coming to dwell with your people. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So these final pictures from Revelation are some of the most beautiful hope-infused images in all of Scripture. They are words that should orient our lives and stir our longings for Jesus to come back and to make all things new. But before we dive in to these last images, I want to take a moment to look back at where all we've been in this revelation journey. So uh, let's look and remember the big picture outline of the book. Chapters 1 through 3 are the introduction and letters to the seven churches. And then chapters 4 and 5 are the central image of Revelation. The throne and the Lamb with the elders, creatures, and angels all worshiping God. And then chapters 6 through 20 are the long series of apocalyptic cycles, right? There's the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, along with uh, pictures of an evil dragon and its two beasts that bring deception and destruction wherever they go. But then we arrive in chapters 21 and 22, 
were the central image of the throne of God and the Lamb appear once more. As the holy city comes down like a bride, a voice from heaven says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. I'm making everything new. The Lamb is at the center as the city's temple and a lamp. In this city, the water of life flows from the throne of God and the Lamb, right? This image of the throne and the Lamb are the central, primary image of the book of Revelation. So we said from the very beginning, and we're back at it again. And that's why the whole book of Revelation must be read through this image of God on a throne and the lamb that was slain. God rules on the throne by being a sacrificial lamb. This is who God is. This is what God is like. All of these various cycles of sevens have led us here to a new heaven and a new earth with the throne and the lamb at its center. But these last two chapters themselves are also part of one final cycle of seven. So flip back a couple of pages to chapter 19. Let's take a look at this final cycle of seven that leads us to the very end of the book. Chapter 19. So as I mentioned last week, we left off halfway through chapter 19 where the heavens rejoice with the hallelujah chorus. Uh, That's what the hallelujah chorus is based on because the oppressive city of Babylon has been vanquished. All of these hallelujahs lead to the anticipation of the bride and the wedding supper of the Lamb. But before we make it to chapter 21, where the bride and the lamb are united at last, there's one final cycle of seven that begins in chapter 19, verse 11. And each one of these begins with the phrase, and I saw. Take a look. Chapter 19, verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a, on white horses dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is no mistaking who this is, right? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's called faithful and true. His name is the Word of God. This is Jesus, right? 
This is Jesus. But notice, and this is vital, that as he rides in, his robe is already dripping in blood. Before any battle has occurred, before anything has happened, he's already covered in blood. You see, the blood on his robe is not the blood of his enemies. It's his own blood. This is just one more picture of the lamb who was slain. Except now it's the warrior who is bleeding. Jesus conquers, not by killing, but by being killed. That's at the heart of the book of Revelation. The sword that he fights with is not held in his hand, but it comes out of his mouth. He rules not by violent force, but by passionate plea as he speaks and calls forth and announces the kingdom of God and calls people to himself. Jesus wages war with his words and with the announcement of the kingdom of God. There are many who have said and who may be saying this weekend that Jesus first came as a humble child but he will come again as a mighty warrior ready for battle. And that's kind of true. It's kind of true. What's often implied when this statement is said is that Jesus first came in peace. But when he comes again, it will be with violent vengeance. And that simply is not true. That simply is not true. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not like Jesus came preaching the kingdom and, and living in peace, and then one day he snapped and suddenly became violent and decided to ride down and kill everyone. That's not who Jesus is. And to think that that's who Jesus is, is to miss the whole point of the book of Revelation. Jesus is the lamb that was slain. He does not and will not act as the dragon who destroys and deceives. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what Jesus is like. Rather, the picture that we have here is he rides in, is that he has come to put an end to the way of the dragon and establish everlasting peace. He came as a humble child born in a manger who died upon the cross as a lamb who was slain. And when he comes again, he comes as a subversive warrior who has given his own life to overcome the dragon. That's who Jesus is. We must hold on to this truth. That's the first I saw. A white horse and its rider. Next, down in, in verse 17, uh, the next I saw. 
there, there is this disturbing vision of, of an angel calling forth vultures to gather around and consume the flesh of those who have followed the ways of the dragon and his beasts. Next, in verse 19, uh, I saw the beasts thrown into the lake of fire. The two beasts who were called forth by the dragon are captured and thrown into that lake. Next, in chapter 20, verse 1, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And then next, in 20 verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who have been given authority to judge and the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, the dragon roams one last time. Evil closes in on God's people. All hope appears to be lost, but then it's over before it begins. And every evil is consumed by fire, and the dragon is thrown into the lake of fire. And then, 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And just like that, we're back in the throne room. That primary, central image of Revelation This sixth I saw statement sounds quite an awful lot like Daniel chapter 7. If you remember that from a couple of months ago, it said thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. The court was seated and the books were opened. This is a picture of a courtroom. It's a picture of a judge establishing justice. Now, there are a lot of different ways to understand these visions in the last uh, chapters 19 and 20, all these I saw, I saw statements. Many read them sequentially, try to map them out onto some kind of a timeline predicting when and how all of this will happen. And there are whole theological systems that revolve around the thousand years, often called the millennium, uh, determining what it means and how it fits into everything and when everything is going to happen. I, for one, am skeptical of those who try to lay these visions out in a neat, tidy timeline, largely because John doesn't lay them out in a neat tidy timeline. Notice how all of the other cycles of seven were numbered, right? The first seal, the second seal, the the first 
trumpet, the second trumpet, the first bowl, the second bowl, on and on. They have numbers attached to them. They happen in order. This last cycle of seven is just rapid fire. And I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw, right? Over and over again, one after the other. It's almost like he's watching a wall of TV screens. And they're all playing at the same time. And he's just darting back and forth trying to tell us everything that he is seeing. It's like it's all playing at once. And I think that's the effect that these passages are supposed to have on us. Taken all together, these images of I saw are meant to show us one after another after another the final end of evil. Evil will come to an end. Jesus defends his people is the rider on the horse. The beasts are thrown into the fire. The dragon is bound and thrown into the fire. Death does not have the final say on God's faithful people. God arrives to finally establish justice for the oppressed and to restore his people. All of these show us that everything evil will come to an end. And all of them lead to a seventh and final vision in chapter 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, which launches the last two chapters of Revelation. And as we reflect on this beautiful final image in Revelation, I simply want to say something about faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. The things that Paul said would endure, right? I'm going to take them out of order. Let's start with hope. Hope. One of the primary challenges facing the world today, is hopelessness. We are daily overwhelmed by news of war, by division, by anger, by chaos. It is so easy for a kind of nihilism, nothing matters, to seep into our souls as we abandon any kind of hope for the world. There's a recent book that came out. The title is On Getting Out of Bed. And it's, it's uh, one of uh, Caitlin's and my friends told us about it and described it as a, a loving, swift kick in the pants. Uh, it's just this, get out of bed. There is purpose to your life. Because it's so hard sometimes to just wake up, to just get out of bed, because what difference does it make? Right? Does any of this really matter? You see, many secular people place their hope in progress, this hope that things will just keep getting better and better. So whenever violence and warfare have the headlines, there's no reason to hope because no progress is being made. It seems like we're pushed way far back instead. Meanwhile, many religious people, many Christians, place their hope in heaven, simply wanting to and waiting for the day when we'll finally escape all of this chaos. 
But the final image in Revelation challenges both of these views. A hope only in progress and a hope of escaping. Is, we don't see either one of these things. Right? Ultimately, the chaos of the sea, which the beasts had emerged from earlier in the book, will be no more. There will no longer be any sea. The tragedy of tears will be wiped away. You see, the world does not collapse into meaninglessness. That's not the end of the story. But then, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, I saw people going up to heaven. Rather, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down. In the same way, it doesn't say, behold, people departed to dwell with God. Rather, it says, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Do you hear the difference between these things? All of this is ultimately summed up in the declaration that comes from the throne. I am making everything new. I am making everything new. This is not a picture of a hopeless world, nor is it a picture of hope away from the world. Rather, it is hope for the world. I want you to hear this. In the end, God does not destroy or abandon His creation. Rather, He renews it. God doesn't throw out old and broken things. Right? Today, that's typically what we do. You know, like a pair of shoes gets a hole in it, you toss them, you buy some new shoes. God doesn't do that. He doesn't throw out old and broken things. Rather, He repairs them and makes them new again. There is hope for this world. There is hope for you. No matter how old or broken you might feel, God does not throw you away. God will not abandon you. As we enter this Christmas season, know this. God has not abandoned you. You too will be made new. This is our hope. Let's consider faith. I want to say something about faith. Hebrews 11 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith has to do with seeing. Has to do with seeing. And notice the things that we see and do not see in the city of new creation. Chapter 21, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Right? The sun and the moon are the means by which we see, right? They're the things that give us light. For God's people, the temple has always been the means by which they saw God, right? It was this location that fueled their faith. But in the new heavens and the new earth, people no longer see by means of lesser lights. People no longer see God merely by means of a temple. No, a day is coming when we will see God directly. All of God's beauty, all of God's glory, all of God's goodness will shine brighter than we can ever imagine, brighter than the first sight of snow. But in the meantime, we do not yet see God directly, which is why we must look to find him in and through things, right? We see glimpses of God in the beauty and light of creation. We see glimpses of God. We encounter God through one another as we gather to worship, as we grow in relationship. Jesus himself said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them, right? If you want to see Jesus, look at one another. Right? We catch glimpses in and through things right now. We must seek God and God's kingdom in the midst of the everyday as we wait for his ultimate arrival, for the kingdom to come in fullness, and then we will see him directly in all of his glory and goodness and brilliance calls for faith to see rightly. And all of this leads us to love. The fuel and the foundation of all of this is love. That's why the final image in Revelation is a wedding. It's a bride and a groom. It's the celebration of the wedding feast. God desires to make his home with us. And we, his people, desire to be with him. This love of God is the fabric of all reality. It's the bedrock foundation of all things. As we enter Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus while still awaiting his return. I want to ask you, do you believe in this love of God? Do you believe in this love of God? Do you believe that beneath all the layers of existence, there is a sure foundation of God's love? Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Beneath every twinge of heartache, 
there is an even deeper hope. For every fallen tear, there is a faithful God who will wipe it away. With every broken thing, there is a lamb who is slain, who is coming to make all things new again. I've asked you this before, and I want to ask again. How would you live differently if you truly believed that the truest thing about you is that you are deeply loved by God? How would you live differently if you really believed that? That the truest thing about you is that God loves you. How would you interact with the world differently if you really believed the truest, most enduring thing about heaven and earth is that God loves everything he has created and he will make it all new again? How would you live differently in the love of God? This is what the book of Revelation is about. This is what all creation is about. So with faith in our faithful Lord, with hope in our coming Redeemer, and with love for the Lamb who was slain, we join in prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Amen.